All right, thank you, Sarah. Yeah, it was good to encouraging to see the faith of our uh, group and our meeting on Tuesday. And uh, I mean, we have uh, over 150 people that call this church their, our, uh, their home, part of our family. And, uh, and really, uh, 20000 isn't a lot. I know our family is going to be committing to uh, doubling up our tithe for the next couple months to, to help with this. And uh, I think we can get it polished off and get it uh, back up and running. You can throw my PowerPoint there, Danielle. I know you're doing double job, but... We've been talking about, uh, about worship, and today we're going to talk about uh, making worship more, more meaningful for us. And let's, uh, let's stand as we pray. Father, we thank you that you're worthy of, of all of our worship. We thank you that you are above all, and God, that you are powerful and you are good and that you transform our lives, and that you love us deeply. And God, we owe you everything. And, uh, and God, we want to learn how to worship you more meaningfully. We want to know how to worship you, God, in a deeper way. We want to uh, be able to surrender uh, just more and more, God, in your presence. And so we pray that you lead us and guide us through this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, maybe seated. We're going to start with Psalm 89, and uh, I should mention, like last week, we are uh, through the series of worship. We're going to be ending the service with, uh, with uh, a few worship songs, and so um, there's a way we can uh, work on applying this. But Psalm 89, we read this last week, we'll read it again. Happy are those who hear the joyful call to worship. Uh, if you want to be more happy in your life, you want to experience more joy, you want to see some of that depression and discouragement melt off a little bit, there is a joyful call for you to worship. And you have to hear it. You have to respond to it. God is calling all of us to hear this joyful call and to surrender and to give Him our all because He is worthy. And it just makes you more joyful. Uh, there's something when you're just singing praises to a God who can do anything and is amazing and loving that just causes this discouragement to melt off. Happy are those who hear the joyful call to worship. And their worship changes us. We're going to talk more about this next week, but it changes us. For those who respond to the call to worship, this is what happens. For they will walk in the light of your presence, Lord. I mean, you just want to feel His presence as you walk throughout your week. You'll be walking in the light of His presence you got to respond to the call of worship. Uh, they rejoice all day long in your wonderful reputation. You just want to have more joy all day long. It's about responding to the call of worship. They exult in your righteousness. You are their glorious strength. There's something about worship that bring, brings strength. And so we've been talking about worship. How to, to grow. What is worship is what we talked about last week. We talked about worship, uh, that, that God is worthy. I mean, we know what it's like to go to a rock concert, as we talked about last week, and, and everybody's cheering and exciting, and then and the little, little guy comes on the stage, and, and everybody's erupting, and how much honor we give to rock musicians or to hockey players, and that's okay, because we're called to honor people. But if we give that much honor to a rock musician and to a hockey player, how much more honor do we give to the Lord of this universe? 
How much more honor do we give to Jesus that he is so worthy? He has changed us. He has renewed us. He has given us new strength and new power. And so he is just, he's just worthy of our worship. So we talked about last week. We talked about how all life is to be worshiped. It's not just a Sunday morning thing, but everything we do, every breath we take, every move we make is to be, to be worshiped. But we also spoke about how most often when the, the, the Bible uses the word worship, it's actually talking about a direct, uh, focused time of worship where you're not worshiping while you work or worshiping while you're at school or you're supposed to do those things. But worship most often is used of a direct time where you focus on God. And one of the best ways we do that is through singing and through music and through gathering together here on a Sunday morning where we lift up our voices to, to God. In fact, if you look at the word worship in the Bible, it's found 496 times. The word prayer, praying, and prayer is found 436 times. But do you know that singing songs, sang in music is found more than prayer? I mean, sometimes people will say, you know, this, you know, singing thing, it's not really my thing, you know, I just don't really do that. But, but I mean, no one would say that about prayer. I mean, all of us would say, yeah, prayer is essential to the faith. But the Bible actually talks more about singing and music than it does about prayer. Uh, singing and making music and singing, like our times of worship or your times at home when you, when you put on Jesus Culture or Chris Tomlin or whatever your, your favorite worship band is, those are incredibly important to our relationship with God. That they are essentials, the, the idea of singing and making music. Colossians 3 says, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thanks, thankful hearts. Psalm 105 says, give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name, make known among the nations what he has done, sing to him, sing praise to him. And this is this command that we're actually commanded to, to sing to God, to make music. It, it is an essential part of our faith. Psalm 150 says, praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heaven. Praise Him for His mighty works. Praise His unequaled greatness. Praise Him with a blast of the ram's horn. I actually asked George to bring his ram's horn today. Can you pull that out and give us a blast of your ram's? Do you know this is one of the oldest instruments in the Bible for worship? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you read a lot about the, the ram's horn in the, the, the Old Testament. We're to praise him with the ram's horn. We're to praise him with the lyre and the harp. We're to praise him with the tambourine and dancing. We're to praise him with strings and flutes. We're to praise him with a clash of cymbals. And my favorite verse, praise him with loud clanging cymbals. And if you ever think the drums are too loud, well, it's biblical. I got a verse. Yeah. Praise him with loud clanging cymbals. Let everything up br uh, breathe sing praises to the Lord, praise the Lord. This is part of our, our worship. This is part of our, our, our adoration. This is part of our relationship with God, the idea of singing. And there's something about music, even if you're not a Christian, where music just moves you. Uh, there's something in music that just touches your soul. It touches your heart. And this is one of the reasons God invented music and, and has music, because it, it draws us closer to Him. And it is a powerful way for you to grow in your relationship with God. So we're going to talk about how to make worship more meaningful. We've got three points. The first one is this. If you want to make your worship more meaningful, when I use that word worship in this message, I'm talking about singing and music. We know that worship is more than that. 
but I'm using that in the sense of music today. Uh, Mike P. said this, the heart of worship is and always has been blessing him, coming to intimacy with him, giving to him. He is the center of worship, and how dare we ever make us the center of worship. Worship isn't to please me, it is to please Jesus. Worship is for Jesus, it's to Jesus, and it's about Jesus. And if you want to make it more meaningful, you got to make it about Jesus. And yet this is one of the hardest things to do. Maybe it's just me, but I find out of all the things to do to make worship more, this is the hardest thing to do. We, we, it's so easy to blame our lack of worship on other things or other people rather than, than us focusing on Jesus. I mean, it's so easy to say things like, you know, I just couldn't worship today because, you know, I had a rough week. So really, it's about my week, not about the glory of Jesus. Uh, some people say, well, I don't, I don't feel like worshiping today because, you know, it's going to be hypocritical for me to worship because I had, I had a bad week. Actually, for you to not worship is hypocritical because we're called to worship. Uh, God is always glorious no matter if our week was or not glorious. I mean, we can blame it on, well, I, that song I just don't like. That's about my preference. It's not about Jesus being glorious. You know, the worship team was out of tune or, you know, it was too loud or too quiet or it's not my preference or that's not my style or, well, I mean, we, 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 we often make worship about me and my preferences is what I like and it's the kind of worship I like and if it just fits my suited worship style and preferences just perfectly, then God, you're glorious. Yeah. Uh, it is very difficult. Uh, one of the things I try to work on worship when it's so hard is, is trying to worship and not think about what others are thinking about me or what others are doing. Or, I mean, it is hard just to focus on Jesus, but if you want to make it more meaningful, you got to make it about Him. In fact, my all-time favorite worship quote ever is from Eugene Peterson, and I love it because it's just so true. He says this, worship is the strategy by which we interrupt our preoccupation with ourselves and attend to the presence of God. Let me read that again. Worship is the strategy by which we interrupt our preoccupation with ourselves and attend to the presence of God. Worship is the time and place that we assign for deliberate attentiveness to God. Not because he's confined to time and place, but because our self-importance is so insidiously relentless that if we don't deliberately interrupt ourselves regularly, we have no chance of attending to him at all at other times and in other places. In other words, I mean, j- just the nature of our society, and we all, it doesn't matter how spiritual you are, we all struggle with narcissism, with, with being selfish. And when we come to worship, it is a time where we just say, you know, this is about you. And where we take all attention and put it on God. And this is why worship is so hard for some people. Because it's a time where they actually have to take 20 minutes and they got to make it about someone else. That's really hard because we just love everything to be about us. But it's a time where we just learn to be selfless and we put it all towards God. And if you can't learn to be selfless for 20 minutes or 30 minutes of worship, as this quote, you're just going to have a hard time serving Jesus throughout the week. Because as followers of Jesus, we are called to be people who are lovers of people and lovers of Jesus and, and inherently thinking about others as more valuable than ourselves. And worship, part of worship is training to be selfless, training to put our attention on God rather than ourselves. Psalm 66 says, shout for joy to God, all the earth. 
Sing the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. Now, or, or to make his praise glorious. Again, doesn't matter how great or worse the song is or what your week's been like, that we're to make it his, our praise glorious because he is glorious. I mean, a number of years ago, I think I've told this story before, but I had a super convicting time of worship once. I was at a conference in Vancouver, and, and whenever I go to the city, like Seattle for a conference in Vancouver, usually when I step in the city, I just see like everybody's super cool around me, and they've got the cool hairdos and, you know, the cool jeans. Everybody just looks so cool, and sometimes I feel a little out of place. Uh, especially when my hair is a bit longer. And, uh, but I was at this cool conference. Everybody was cool. It was a church planning conference. It was just cool. And uh, everybody just seemed to be cool there. And we were worshiping, and the worship music was cool. But then, I don't know what the worship band was thinking, but they played the worship song, what I think is the most cheesy worship song ever. And I knew everybody else in the room probably thought that as well, at least that we're closer to my age, because it's just a cheesy worship song. And you can see everybody stopped worshiping. And, and I was like, I'm not worshiping this song. This is the cheesiest song. If I worship to this song, I'm going to even look less cool, and I'm going to look ridiculous, and then I'm going to think I'm some, like, crazy Christian from the bush somewhere if I worship. And so I stopped worshiping, and God was just saying, now, who's this about? It's not you, but I don't want to look stupid. Uh, who's this about? And I just really, you know, it's a sacrifice of praise, if you could say, to make his praise glorious. To just get the attention off yourself, it can be really hard, but worship can be so meaningful when you actually get there. When you actually, this is about Jesus, this is about giving him glorious praise, no matter how I'm feeling or what I'm doing, and this is what the Bible talks about, offering up a sacrifice of praise. If it's the song you like, if it's the style of church you like, if it's the volume you like, it's not really a sacrifice of praise because it's easy. The word sacrifice, by definition, means it costs you something. And sometimes if you had a bummer of a week and you don't feel like worshiping, you come in with a sacrifice of praise because he's worthy anyways. If it's a song you don't like and the band's out of tune, say, it's hard to worship to, but I'm going to give you a sacrifice of praise because you are worthy. It is about learning to take the attention off yourself, to put it on God and it just makes it much more meaningful. A worship leader said this, worship is war. And there's talk about worship wars in church, about volumes and worship styles, but he's talking about a different kind of war, the right kind of war. Worship is war, but it is not to be fought over our own preferences. We must turn our energy towards killing the selective, prideful nature within us. We must fight to put to death anything in us that would hinder us from pursuing Christ with all we are. We must fight to worship him with a joyful adoration that cannot be contained. So next time you go to church and the music is too loud, or the leader is singing that song you don't like, go to war. Fight against the sin at work within yourself. Fight against consumerism and disunity. Fight for a grateful heart. Fight for the truth to captivate you in a way music never could. Fight to stand in awe of a mighty God who rescued you and graciously sings over you. Fight the true war of worship. And it's about putting attention on him. And man, if you get that, all of a sudden you're just going to begin to experience God more in worship. You're going to find yourself more free in worship. And it's going to become a whole lot more meaningful. Because it's a lot of draining work trying to keep the attention on yourself. Luke 10, 
It says, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And this is how we're to worship. God, with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength and our mind. And last week we talked a little bit about the mind. That the fuel of worship is the truth about God. That God is seeking worshipers who worship him in spirit and in truth. That when you realize who God is, you just can't help but worship. I mean, if we actually had a greater revelation of who God is, I tell you, we wouldn't want to leave this place. If this community had a revelation of who God was, this church would be full 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and so would every other church around here, and lots of churches would be planted if people just knew how glorious he was. I mean, he is so worthy, and so truth is important. We talked about that last week, but I want to talk about these other two today, heart and soul and our strength, and this leads us to number two, that meaningful worship will involve your emotions, that we have truth about God but truth is not to be left in the mind. It always needs to work its way down to our hearts and to our soul and to our emotions. Jesus said this is where the stuff flows from. Life flows from the heart. John 4 says, true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship this, this way. That God is actually looking for worshipers. And he's looking for worshipers who will worship both in the truth and in spirit. It's not talking about the Holy Spirit here. This is, this is a small, it's talking about our spirit, our, our soul, or our heart, or emotions, whoever you would define that. But he's looking for people who are willing to worship him with truth and spirit, emotionally, connectively. For God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And this is something our soul is, is longing for. Not just a mental connection with God, but an emotional, spiritual connection. Psalm 63, 1 says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul, or your emotions, your heart, your inner being is thirsting for a connection with God. My flesh faints for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Psalm 84, my soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. It's not just my mind singing, but it's my heart. Do you realize that you're called into a relationship with God? And this involves your emotions. A lot of the words that God describes our relationship with Him are words that are packed with emotion. We are called the bride of Christ. Any good marriage, there's a lot of emotions going on. Any good relationship with God, there's going to be a lot of emotions going on. You are called a son and daughter. Any son or daughter relationship with a parent where there's no emotion, that's kind of, that's kind of weird. There should be emotion going on. Uh, we are called into not just a mind relationship with God, but a very emotional relationship with God. And worship needs to include emotion. That you're singing from your heart, that you're connecting with God emotionally, not just mentally. In fact, God is emotionally connecting with you. Zephaniah 3 says, The Lord your God is in your midst. He is a warrior who can deliver. He takes great delight in you. He renews you by his love, and he shouts for joy. Or some translations have, sing for joy over you. The God is singing for joy over you. He is shouting for joy over you. He has emotional feelings towards you. And how dare we respond with only our mind? with not emotionally responding to him. 
I mean, could you imagine, like, you know, a husband and wife where the husband's like, I just want to bless my wife, and he prepares this beautiful love song for his wife and just treats her to the best, and, and after all this emotional experience, you know, the wife says, guitar's out of tune. I mean, just no emotional response back. I mean, any relationship requires love, giving and receiving love both ways. And that's what in worship we're called to do. We don't just worship Him in truth. That's very important, but we worship with our heart. We just allow our emotions to connect. We allow our heart. We allow our heart to flow and connect with Him. It's how you make worship more meaningful is to worship from your heart. In fact, the Bible is filled with words of emotion. Psalm 100, shout for joy to the Lord. This is an emotion. Shout for joy to the Lord. In fact, there's a lot in the Bible about shouting. A couple of verses, Psalm 71, my lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you. Or Psalm 33, sing to him a new song, play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. Okay, we know how to shout when we're emotional. We know how to shout when we're angry. We're emotionally charged because someone ticked us off or didn't do something we like. You can shout with the emotions of anger. We know what it's like to shout with emotions of joy when your hockey team scores. Yeah! You know what it's like to shout for joy when your kid does something amazing on the soccer field or whatever. But do we do that for God? In fact, the idea of shouting is actually commanded. And we, in fact, we should try it. Let's pick something. Like, I don't know what we pick. Like, hallelujah. Yeah, let's, let's shout that three times. We can do it. Okay, ready? One, two, three. Hallelujah! 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 Yeah, that's... That's this emotion. That's emotion. This is part of worship. Uh, shout for, the, for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. To be glad. Come before him with joyful songs. This is why we try to have songs that are upbeat and joyful. Not all just slower songs, but we need joyful songs. It's commanded to come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are as people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. This is emotions. Don't be scared of letting your emotions just pour out in worship. It'll make your worship far more meaningful. You are in a relationship with God. You're not just, you know, Picking up a rock. God is not like some like emotionless being. We're called to give and love, give and receive love and worship. Did you get stuck? Did that get clicked off the screen there? There we go. Uh, worship also involves our body. This is loving God with our heart and soul. Also says strength. Uh, do you realize that we're not Gnostics? That was one of the heresies in the, the early church. Gnosticism ta taught that anything spiritual was great and amazing. Anything physical was bad. So your body's not really important in your spiritual walk, but anything spirit, uh, your body's not important, but anything spiritual. And, and sometimes we can end up thinking like we worship like Gnostics. That worship is all about the mind, worship is all about the spirit, but my body is not going to have anything to do with worship. That's kind of worship like a Gnostic. But the very definition of worship it's all actually about, mostly about, our body getting involved. Uh, next slide. 
since it's stuck. The Greek word for worship, we looked at this last week, but look, it involves the body, to kiss, to fall down, to bow before, to give reverence. The Hebrew word, to fall or to lay face down before someone on the ground touching your forehead to the earth. This is, this is all physical movements. And the Bible is filled with, with stuff that, that talks about how our body should be involved. And we have this mistake, and this is just psychologically speaking, that all, all cultures kind of do this or whatever. We, we kind of think that our culture is always the golden standard. Though, however our culture approaches something, it's kind of the right way to do it. And we kind of think that often, sort of North American culture, that the right way to approach worship is, is kind of like this. And to move our mouth. That's, that's the way worship should be. That, that's normal worship. But I tell you, most of this world doesn't worship that way. You, you talk to Troy coming from Trinidad, Dean and Marlene were just in Rwanda, I guarantee they don't worship like that. I think it was Calvin who was saying that, 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 our, uh, that their most conservative people over there are more crazy in worship than our Pentecostals here. I mean, I mean, if you go around this world, I mean, people are very involved biblically. If you look at the scriptures and what it says, it, it talks about engaging the body all the time. There is actually no way, if you just took away all of our cultural thinking and you only studied the Bible, that you would ever, ever, ever come up with the idea that this is normal worship. This would be really weird worship. But in our culture, this is kind of normal, and if someone starts doing this or this, then it's like, well, that's kind of weird. I mean, they're really getting into it. <laughs> but it's the opposite. It's the opposite. I mean, we should be looking at people who are like this and go like, that's really weird. I mean, that's just... That's, it's, it's nothing wrong with that, okay? I mean, but I think there is something wrong only if this. this. This is my example. If you go to a hockey game or a concert, and you're like, yeah, this is, yeah, and then you come to church and you're like, there is some sort of issue there. But if you go to a rock concert and you're still like this, and you go to a hockey game and you're still like this, Okay, that's fine. That's just who you are. I mean, some of you are not very expressive, and, and it's not to guilt you or to say you need to be someone that you're not. I mean, but I mean, the body is part, part of worship. And there's a lot of verses on this. Next slide. Uh, verses about standing. Uh, some people ask, well, why do I have to stand for worship? It's okay to sit. I mean, sometimes God is saying that you just want to sit or you're getting tired or whatever. But we stand for people. You know, we give, someone walks in the room who is famous, we're like, we stand and give them a, a round of applause. And we, Standing is a way that we say, I honor you. You're worth standing for. Next slide. Uh, bowing and kneeling, Psalm 95. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. That, 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 that this is talked about, and it's funny how we can read some of these things and say, well, it's kind of commanded, but we don't want to do it. And it's kind of hard in here because we've got chairs and stuff. But next slide. Uh, lifting the eyes and head. This we can do. You, O oh Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. To you I lift my eyes, O oh, you who are enthroned in the heavens. And, and sometimes, I know I do this, I know some of you do, in worship, you can just lift your eyes uh, to the heavens. I mean, it's one of the reasons why it's good to memorize worship lyrics uh, I usually have most, I worship all the time at, at, with music at home, and so I have most of these things. Close your eyes and lift your head. It's one of the ways you can engage your body in worship. I have clapping of the hands. Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. Uh, to, to clap. Again, uh, we do this for people. When famous people come on the stage or someone, we, we stand and we give them a standing ovation. How much more worthy is Jesus? Let's do, let's give Jesus a standing ovation. Can we stand together? 
All right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Amen. Amen. He's worthy. He's worthy. All right. You may be seated. Yeah. Next slide. Uh, dancing. Let him praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with tambourine and lyre. Uh, someone if you praise him with tambourine and dance, praise him with strings and pipe. And again, this kind of freaks us out in this culture, but most cultures dance through worship. Uh, again, we just kind of think we're the cultural standard, and you know, sometimes like churches say, well, that's not allowed, and you'll never find a Bible verse that says it's not allowed. In fact, you'll find tons that say it is, and I go, we're not always the most dance-filled kind of culture, but I mean, I've been to weddings and stuff where we start dancing for a bride and groom. <laughs> Why not Jesus? Uh, and it's okay to, to move a little bit in worship, you know? It's, a, it's all right. It's biblical. <laughs> Uh, next slide. Uh, raising of hands. This is a, this is a big one. Uh, a lot of times you see a lot of you raise your hands. Um, a lot of churches, and you say, well, why do people raise hands? I mean, this is, this is very biblical. Uh, hands are very important in the scriptures. It's with hands we put our hands on someone to bless them. Uh, Jesus held little children. It's with our hands we greet people and shake people. It's our hands that we surrender. I mean, hands are important, and we see this all throughout the Scripture. The idea of lifting hands. Psalm 63, I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. Psalm 88, I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Psalm 134, lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. Next slide. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Lamentations 2, pour out your heart like water before the presence of the Lord. What a beautiful picture of worship. Pour out your heart like water before the presence of the Lord. Lift your hands to him. Let us lift up our hearts and hands to God in heaven. And Lamentations is a text all talking about the suffering and destruction of Jerusalem in mourning and pain and sorrow. Yet he's saying we're going to lift our hands to the mighty God of this universe. Again, it's, it's involving our body. We're not just Gnostics that, that we do try to involve our script, our, in our body. Again, this is not the cultural standard of the world, and it's definitely not the cultural standard of the Scriptures. And I'm not trying to guilt you to make you think, do things that you don't want to do. Don't ever feel that way. But I'm just saying, just allow yourself, your body to engage. Uh, I find it much more meaningful when, when my body's engaged in something because the reality is your heart it always works out into the body, even in subtle ways. You come across somebody you don't like, you're like, it's in your heart, you hate that person, it kind of comes out, you know? You come across somebody you like, you're like, you smile, it comes out. What's going on in your heart? It comes out in your body for, for a lot of time. And let it come out in worship. It's just something that, that you may want to grow into. Next slide. And uh, I'll talk a little bit about just briefly about judging, because sometimes, again, you're like, what is someone going to think of me if I do this? Or sometimes we look around like, what is that person doing? You know, all judgment, when it comes to judging people, how they worship has just melted out of me. And one of the reasons is this text. And you've probably heard the story of, of King David dancing. 
when he is dancing before the ark, they finally get to bring it into Jerusalem, and he is a king, and he's wearing this linen ephod, which was not what kings wore, it was what the priests wore, and he is, he's dancing like crazy to this, uh, to this thing. Next slide. It says, wearing the linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, while uh, he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. As the, uh, as the ark of the Lord was entering the city, of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, this is David's wife, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. And I know Christians who do this. When someone's like starts to dance or move or get a little, uh, they're like, what in the world does that person do? Again, like we are the cultural norm, like they have a better interpretation of how to worship than the actual scriptures. I mean, it is a very dangerous place to go. And here's why. Next slide. Oh, it is? Okay, geez. Uh, when David returned home to bless his household, Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, how the king of Israel has distinguished uh, himself today, going around half naked. He wasn't half naked. He wasn't in his underwear. It was a linen ephod that covered his whole body. Half naked, and because whenever you're mad at someone, you always stretch the truth, right? You always just try to make it worse than it really is. This is what you do. Half naked in view of all the slave girls of his servants, as any vulgar fellow would. And then it says, David said to Michael, I was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's uh, people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But these slave girls he spoke of, uh, I will be held in honor. And then it says this, and Michael, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. She was barren because she decided to despise someone who was worshiping God. And this is why you just keep your focus off what other people, keep, keep it on God. It keeps you from ending up barren. I mean, some of you might be, just feel very barren in worship because you're always looking around what other people are doing. You're not, you have, don't have your attention on Jesus. Keep it on Jesus. All right, a couple more thoughts and then we're done. Next one. A couple of worship questions and answers. Uh, why do we sing a phrase over and over again? Some people are like, man, I sang that three times. Why do we have to sing it five or six times? If you struggle with that in church, you're going to have a real struggle with the throne of God. Because Revelation 4 says, The four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, day and night, they never cease to say, they're repeating this over and over, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. In the very throne room of God, there's repetition day and night of who God is. It's okay to do it five or six times. Next slide. Uh, Psalm 136 has 26 repetitions of his love endures forever. And the Psalms are songs. They would sing them. 26 times his love endures forever. His love endures forever. And one of the reasons it is important to, to, that we repeat worship lyrics in church is because it brings it from the mind to the heart. Uh, next slide. In fact, I wrote this. The absence of repetition leaves worship simply in the mind. Without repetition, our minds keep racing to grasp the next idea or thought in the song. Great worship songs and worship leaders have a mix of new thoughts and repetition uh, because it allows it to sink in. It allows you to, get your, to, to, to park your mind on some sort of truth and to focus on some uh, truth of God. It's the whole idea of biblical meditation. 
Bible says we're to do that. Where you take a scripture and you ponder it, you think through it, and you say it over and over again, where God brings up meaning, and we do that as we sing. Now, people who really struggle with this are people who have a hard time moving worship from the mind to the heart. But it's an important part of worship. Next slide. Uh, why does the worship band keep playing when there are no words for me to sing? Sing it along, there's words, and all of a sudden, the band is playing. And you're like, okay. And the band is still playing. Well, where's the slide? And they're still playing. And, uh, some people don't know what to I mean, we do this purposely to give you an opportunity to worship. If you can only worship when there's actually lyrics on the screen and there's something actually presented to you for you to follow, worship is more than that. Worship is a time where we have words on the screen, but whenever we do instrumentals uh, quite, quite a bit, and this gives you an opportunity to worship God on your own, to take those times and to close your eyes and to just, uh, some people will just pray, some people will just say, you know, thank you God, you're wonderful, just praise him. Some people will sing quietly or speak quietly in tongues or they'll just take that time to, to minister and love on God, but it's a time for you to learn to worship. Uh, don't check out of those times. Uh, they can be some of the most powerful times in worship. It's just when the band is playing and you're just engaging in worship with God. Another thought here is use your imagination in worship. Smart people who do weird studies uh, have found, and we've talked about this before, <laughs> that people who find worship the most meaningful are people who engage their imagination in worship. Uh, imagination is a beautiful gift from God, and like any gift from God, it can be abused for the wrong things, it can be used for the right things, but when the Bible talks about two, over 200 times about dreams and visions, those are things God puts in our imagination, but the imagination is important in worship because it brings about a more clear reality of what is going on. It brings about a more clear reality of what's going on, and it helps you to worship. For instance, if you don't use the worship, then it's, okay, me and a bunch of people here, uh, we're singing, and there's a band up there, and there's some words on the screen, and I'm singing to this God I can't see, and Jesus, you know, I think he's supposed to be here, but I can't really see him, and it's, okay, that's sort of the reality you live in, but your imagination can bring a more clear reality, because what is the true reality of what's going on? Jesus is here. Uh, there are no doubt angels here. And so to use your, sometimes in worship, I will, I will just see Jesus on stage. And I tell you, when you start there, all of a sudden you just start worshiping a lot more. I mean, you're not like, I hate this song. And this, what is a band doing? What's that person doing over there? I mean, Jesus were actually here. You wouldn't care what song you were singing. You would be worshiping him. And to use your imagination to picture Jesus in this room or, or angels, because that is actually bringing a more clear reality of actually the truth of the reality. Sometimes when we're doing an upbeat song, I just, and maybe it's just me, but I always kind of picture Jesus dancing because he was from a culture that was filled with dance. Uh, sometimes when we're singing a song like, I don't know, Forever Rain, talking about running into you, I run into your arms, I picture myself running into the arms of Jesus to use your imagination. And this is why it's also helpful for you to memorize the lyrics, to take these songs, listen to them at home, so you can actually close your eyes and, and focus more and use your imagination and enter in with your heart and just, just have worship or time where you're just, you're just more surrendered. It can be really helpful to use your imagination in worship. Uh, we'll talk about this next week, I think. Next slide. Uh, and we'll just end with this. Keep your heart focused on Jesus throughout the worship time. Again, uh, don't check in and out of worship. Uh, to stay connected through the whole time. So we sing, there's words on the screen. Now there's no words, the band is still playing. Don't disconnect while I'm waiting for the new slide. Worship him. 
the song ends. And uh, when's the next song? When's the next song? And you're totally checked out of worship. Just stay in worship. If the band's not playing, just go ahead and you know, just keep your attention on him until the band starts playing. Sometimes, you know, the worship leader drops their page or something and just stay connected to learn just to, uh, to again, it's about learning to keep the attention on someone else. And it's hard for us because we love to keep thinking about ourselves and what I want, my preferences, just to put it on Jesus. Now, I know we're already past time. Uh, and if you have to go, what's that? Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. Was this from today or that total? After today, okay. So now we're at 16,000 in pledges. So that's awesome. Yeah, praise Jesus. Yeah. Something to celebrate. Yeah. <laughs> and we're going to finish with worship. We're going to do three songs. If you have some prior appointment, we're not going to judge you if you have to go because I know we're over time. But we're just going to spend some time in worship. And, uh, and my challenge to you is maybe you want to try one new thing today. Just one new thing. You don't have to do it all, but maybe just one thing. Maybe for the first time you're going to just close your eyes and, and use your imagination to help you to worship. Maybe the first time you're just going to do something new physically. You're going to raise your hand. You're going to lift your head. Uh, you're you're going to just sit down if you're always standing or just something different physically. Uh, but to take this time... And just take this time to honor Jesus. I'm going to invite the worship team up. And uh, and let's stand as we pray. Father, we thank you that you are so worthy. And that you are a glorious God and that you are good. God, we thank you for our faithfulness to this place. We thank you, God, that you uh, just answering our prayers and, uh, God, correcting our finances even, even today, even more so. We thank you. We praise you for that. God, we thank you for Jesus who came and died for us. Uh, God, we thank you for your strength. And God, we, we just want to honor you during this time of worship. Uh, God, there is no judgment here whether we do something or don't, but we just want to take this time and we want to fix our thoughts on you and to honor you for who you are. Again, if you have to go early, uh, don't feel guilty. You may go, but for those of us who want to stay in worship, we're going to take some time and do three songs and just honor Jesus. In Jesus' name.